Joe Sperano, graphic designer for Oxide Design, once said, Good design is obvious. Great design is transparent. It may not be obvious, but that's exactly why the design of dental floss and the containers it comes in are so clever. Let's look at the materials first. Plastic case, nylon thread, and smooth wax. It's designed to be cheap to make, hard to break, and light to take. Most floss comes in small portable packages between 10 to 100 meters long. That isn't necessarily to sell more of it to consumers. It's so that people can easily drop it in their pocket or toiletry bag and take it anywhere it's needed. It's not an organic material and is covered, so you don't have to worry about contamination or expiration. Many varieties now also come in different flavors, and while they don't make flossing any more or less effective, they get us to use it again and again. Every little thing about dental floss is designed to make using it enjoyable or convenient. But here's the thing. We're not even sure it works. I can tell you're excited. That's Yusuf again, the dental surgery student from Adelaide. This part includes our extended discussion on the scientific controversy of dental floss and all the fun tools in the world of oral hygiene. Well, when I told you what we're going to be talking about, you were also super excited. Can you tell me why? <laughs> um, it's it's <clears throat> This is one of the first things in dental school that when we started, this was one of the first topics or the first cases that came up of, yeah, you, t you can tell your patient to floss, but do you really know if it works? Do you trust that it works? What's the what's the the science behind it? Why do you why do you think it works? Um, what do you why do you think it you know it does what it does or it doesn't do what it's supposed to? Um, and we were required. It, it was kind of a way to teach us about how to look up available evidence, scientific research, um, and reliable information, but at the same time to not just blindly trust anything and. You know, if the patient tells you, I don't want to floss, you don't, you don't just go and tell them you have to floss. You can't force the patient to do something that they don't want to do. <clears throat> so we looked at quite a lot of um, scientific articles, but we came to the, the main resource, which is called the Cochrane Library. And the Cochrane Library basically has um, a database of systematic reviews of randomized clinical trials. So this is basically almost the highest level of evidence that you can get for any type of research. And in those um, articles is when we found some information about flossing. And for a start, it was found that there is a very small reduction on a three-point scale for the gingivitis index, which is the gingivitis. Gingivitis is basically inflammation of the gums. So when your gums are a little bit sore, red, you know, when you touch it, it, it bleeds a little bit. Um, there's a 0.13 point reduction, like in gingivitis, thanks to flossing. It's not really that significant. And the, the evidence that there, that is there from all the research that's being done is weak and unre unreliable. So the, the conclusions that they've come to in this is that, yes, there is a small reduction. However, it's not that statistically reliable that you would want to, um, kind of, you know, uh, make that like a main method for cleaning between teeth or, you know, as an adjunct to toothbrushing. Mm -hmm. 
And it's interesting you say that because like flossing has always been seen as one of the big three of oral hygiene. You get your your brushing, your flossing, and then your mouthwash, right? Yes. I think there's a huge variability in individuals that use them. And no matter how much you stress the technique or you uh, try to explain or it, it, the other part is, is genetics, uh, people's genetics, people's diets. There's a lot of different variables that come together um, for this. And you can see some people brush maybe once every three days and don't really have much decay or flock or whatever. And you see some people brushing twice a day and flossing and using brushes and everything, and they still have decay and they still have problems. And a bunch of that is genetic as well. So you as an aspiring dentist, do you tell patients to floss? So basically the way I see it is not only floss. When I, when I get my patients, um, and we started seeing patients in the clinic this year as I'm still a dental student, um, when I get my patients, I tell them, um, look, I, I can see some areas between your teeth that have some flock in them or, um, and, or some food debris or you're getting food stuck in there and so on. Do you floss? If they say no, I will say, listen, if you can, please do it. However, I know a lot of them won't. So what I try to do is kind of engage them in a different way. The way I see it is interdental cleaning. So cleaning between your teeth is the main goal here. So because of the amount of evidence that we have and because of the quality of evidence that we have, um, there isn't that much of a difference between flossing and interdental brushes and toothpicks and so on. So, you know, you can you can get a you can get a, a, a toothpick, you can get a floss holder or a flossing wand as there are in the market. There's there's a billion different products out there and the main goal is just to clean between your teeth. So you just mentioned flossing wands um, a minute ago and are there any other interdental tools or flossing wands on the market that you find have a particularly good design? Um, there's the you know, flossing wands are fairly useful for people with some issues with manual dexterity or in areas where you can't really reach. Um, so for example, I have big hands, big fingers, I can't really put the floss all the way back. Um, I use the small dental, you know, the small uh, toothpicks with a little floss holder on the side as well, the F-shaped kind of floss wand, I guess. Fun fact, patents for flossing wands have been filed as early as 1879. They're older than waxed floss. The, the other thing is there is floss, normal floss itself, there's the flossing wands, there's regular toothpicks, there's interdental brushes, and these I like a fair bit. Interdental brushes are little uh, brushes. You know, you know those, uh, those brushes that you clean bottles with? Uh, so imagine a very tiny version that goes between your teeth and has a little holder. So the interdental brushes that Yusuf is describing are basically like little oral pipe cleaners? that you slip in between the gaps in your teeth and kind of use that to, to clean that space. And they bend and they, you know, go different ways and they come in different shapes and sizes. And they also, um, you can wash them and reuse them quite often. Um, there's a bunch of different different ones. There's the, the ones that are actual brushes and then there's the ones that are um, just plastics with little flaps and, and just do the same kind of um, purpose. Um, these I actually like sometimes because if you have an area that is hard to reach by floss or if you have, say, two teeth that are in heavy contact with each other, where if you try to put the floss, it'll, it'll fray and tear and you can't really put it through, um, that's, that's where the brush comes in because the brush goes under 
and it doesn't have to go between the two teeth first. And the other thing is if you have a patient with, say, uh, bridges, and you can't really clean between those. It's just one unit, but you have to clean under it because food can get stuck underneath um, the bridge. And you can clean that with interdental brushes. You can clean that with what is called uh, super floss. It's a type of floss that has um, the you don't br you don't floss with the ends themselves. You, you, those ends are meant for kind of threading the floss inside, um, underneath the braces or underneath the bridge, and you pull it out. And then the middle section is this kind of fluffier. It's this material that you can slide back and forth, and um, it'll clean much better. And this material also cleans your between your braces. And recently, I've come across um, those floss holders, but with a f one of the ends of the F shape being a little bit flatter, so you can put it underneath the the, the braces. And that's that's a new thing that just came out recently. So there's there's a whole lot of things that are constantly on the market. Um, but yeah, two I, I guess two things uh, recently uh, that I've come across is the first one is the water flosser. And this is this isn't new by any. It's basically like a toothbrush. Um, but it's, it just has a tip that is that shoots pressurized water that's meant to kind of go between the teeth. Um, and it has like a, a small tank that you fill with water and it, and it just you can use it to kind of go between all of your teeth and below, below the gums. And it's just water. So the only kind of annoying thing about that is you have to do it over a sink and it's just going to pour water from your mouth continu continuously. But that it's, it's a lot less effort than just using floss. Um, and it, it, it really does um, do quite a bit of work. So that's the, I guess that's the, the that's what I would say is what's on the market coming up um, these days. Something I've learned over the years is that everyone we interact with, every seemingly mundane place we frequent, every... Everyday item has a story behind it. And with a little digging, we might find stories more interconnected, more interesting than we first thought. Today, I wanted to share with you the contested, political, and purposeful story of dental floss. I hope that the next time you see that little container of wrapped nylon waiting next to your toothbrush, you will put it to use and give your dental hygienist a pleasant surprise. Special thanks to Yusuf Haddad for his expertise in this episode, as well as Samir Ramdani for being the voice of Levi Spear Parmley. Thanks for listening. <laughs>